0: Ah, now who was that knocking? It was my friend, Gritpipe's head. I can't see him. That's because you were playing him. What? He's never here when you're here. I don't understand. Neither that. are the audience. That's why is isn't getting a laugh. Oh. <laughs> Very quiet
1: this evening. It isn't is. It? It is. <laughs>
2: goon-related podcast in the world. This week I am joined by uh, Nick Reeve. Nick is the creator of the blog The Seagoon Memoirs which takes a detailed look at uh, goon shows and goon history and uh, it started uh, just soon after this podcast started last year actually. And I began by asking Nick uh, where the idea came from. Lockdown hit in 2020 and I uh...
1: I probably like pretty much everybody else going, oh, what am I going to do with my time? I can't you know, can't leave the house. Um, and I was I revisited a lot of Goon Show recordings that I had. And I had a few books sitting on my bookshelf and some of which I hadn't read or had only half read. So I started reading some of them. And uh, I suddenly decided, like just out of the blue, I thought I should write a book. I should write a book about the goons. I know quite a lot about the goons. So I was right about that. And I gave about five minutes consideration and I suddenly realised that everybody's written a book about the goons. <laughs> so it wasn't particularly, I didn't really have an original take on it at all. Mm. Um, funnily enough, one of the things I did think about doing was a podcast about the goons. But because I, I love radio and I've done a few podcasts, but it never occurred to me to speak to other people. I just thought to myself, yeah, but no one wants to listen to me waffle on about the goons. No, I won't do that. Um but uh, so it was really interesting. So probably about the same time you know, I kind of came across your podcast, and I absolutely love it. I think what you've done with it is is fantastic, and so many uh, interesting people that you've brought on. And, and oh, thank you. you. I
2: mean, I, I when I first decided to do the podcast, funny enough, it was just going to be me because I've kind of dabbled in podcasts previously with with friends of mine. Um, but I always thought if I if I do my own podcast, it it needs to be me and and another person but I couldn't really find anyone that wanted to commit to doing it full time with me, you know? So in the end, I thought, damn it, I'll just do it on my own. And then um, uh, one of my former guests, in fact, my first guest, Adam, he he suggested that I just have a different guest every week, which was so yeah. simple uh, a concept, but I did think at first before sort of dipping my toe in the water, I, th- I thought, well, it's going to be really difficult to find a different guest every week, but it's been remarkably easy and, and, yeah. and gratifying to get so many interesting people
1: yeah I've had a pretty similar experience as well because um, you know I've settled on a blog as like well I'm gonna use it as basically a way of going through the goon show and trying to understand all the jokes and references that I didn't get when I was about 10 listening to them yeah um, so I decided to you know, start writing it and I was <laughs> I initially decided to do a blog a day that that quickly became uh un- unfeasible <laughs> yes um so uh but i've you know plodding through the series kind of episode at a time um but then you know i put it out because i've obviously found uh people on facebook uh, the goon show groups in facebook um but then twitter was what kind of uh you know made it all the more exciting for me because i found all these people like yourself and uh, and um many, many others who are uh, interested in the goons as well. And as I started, you know, putting these blogs out, I thought, oh, a few people are reading them. And I'd get like 10, 12, 15 clicks. I'd be like, oh, do you know what? I'm quite happy with that. Mm. (laughs) So um, I've had a nice nice little corner of the internet with people who are interested in the same thing as I am, uh, which is a nice place to be. I'm trying to do them in in chronological order, but um, also throwing in like stuff on various anniversaries and um things like that if always something occurs to me and I go, actually you know what I'm just going to write about that because having stopped kind of holding myself to the you know have to do something every day it kind of you know loosens it a little bit and go oh yeah I can yeah I'll run through series by series but actually I can chuck in uh, all sorts of other stuff as well and mm-hmm. I really love kind of pulling at different threads. Um, like I think you, you do similar things of like just pulling a thread or pulling a reference. And go well, where's that? Where does that? Where did that come from? Yes. Um, and uh, you end up kind of going on a, a Wikipedia rabbit hole or you know um, British newspaper archives or uh, leafing through you know
2: seventy-year-old copies of the Radio Times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just... Do you mind me asking, Nick, what age you are? Roughly.
1: I am thirty-five.
2: Blimey! Right. So. <laughs>
1: And I, do you know what? I said that and I said, am I? Uh, yes, I am 35.
2: <laughs> so how was it that you came to the Goons? And what was the, 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 was it a father? Was it a, an uncle or what What was it?
1: It was my mum, actually. Um, I have many memories of uh, sitting down to dinner with my uh, brother, who's five years younger than me uh, when we were kids. And I think it was a ploy to keep us quiet when we were um, eating dinner. She would put on a, a cassette, the Goons. And we sit and listen to them, and we absolutely loved it. We'd be able to like recite, uh, you know, huge swathes of scripts, which as like a five year old and ten year old, <laughs> yeah, it was a bit, uh, you know, went down a bit oddly in the playground. Um, yeah. There were probably a couple of uh, a couple of references that Mum had to say. Make sure you don't repeat that one in school. Mm, I um, imagine, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> But uh, I remember we absolutely loved the, uh, the mysterious punch up the conquer. That was our. Oh, My yeah. favourite.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, Is it because of that sequence? If you know what I mean.
1: Yes, I do know what you mean. Um, I think it's, it was more just the uh, overall silliness that appealed to us, um, and this idea of someone jumping off a bus and bopping you with a boxing glove and then running off again. Right. Um, it was uh, that visual thing was 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 really funny. Um, yeah. I've. I heard you talk about that sequence, uh, <laughs> and I totally agree with you. It's it held up as the classic goon sequence, but there are so many others yeah. that are almost illustrate it better. Um, the one that springs to mind for me is in the the great string robberies, when the, he's presented with a piece of string that's got a piece missing, and they have this discussion about whether there's a piece missing from the middle. Or whether it's a piece from each end and someone cut it in half and moved it apart to make it seem the original length. And how many pieces of string are missing?
2: <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes, I never thought of that. Yeah, um, yeah there, there are the, countless others. There are. There's every show you could like has probably got some some little sequence in it that you could clip out and use. And, and people know which sequence from the mysterious Punch-Up the Conquer we are referring to, which I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. going to dignify it by giving it a name. Um, but it's sort of been dulled by repetition. I suppose.
1: Only enough, as we record this, it is now eight o'clock. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, move on. Um, Sorry. <laughs> my my favourite goon show does fluctuate, I suppose, but I, I, I tend to say that my default uh, answer when people say what's your favourite goon show is the White Box of Great Bardfield episode. Mm. Um Yeah. Partly because it's one of the first ones I heard, and and I I, I think that you often cleave towards more towards uh, episodes or shows that you 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 are first sort of discovering in the early days, and you're still trying to train your ear to mm. to understand what's going on. And that was probably the third or fourth Goon show that I ever heard, and and just the whole concept of taking Snow to the Sudan, yeah. um, and the and the circularity of the yes. episode is, I was about to say It's wonderful yeah
1: um, and all the running gags through that as well like um, Ned son of Houdini ta-da um, yes <laughs> and also and he was uh, still doing that the next week as well wasn't he I
2: was just about to say yeah they, the continuity is there because yeah the following week he turns up in chains doesn't he at the beginning of the, the next week's episode
0: ah! a second man you said that 13 hours ago (laughs) i'm just teasing you when i'm just going home oh no you don't have that 10 shillings ready i'll be free in a trice remember nothing can hold ned son of houdini (laughs) thank you
2: in terms of characters or or, um or or, what would i call them pairings other do you have do you do you favor any over others
1: oh it's you know it's interesting to kind of you
2: as yeah, as a quote adult,
1: um, yeah, it's <laughs> because I, I kind of appreciate them slightly uh, differently than did as a kid. I think as a kid it was always uh, Eccles and Bluebottle, because mm. um, yeah, know yeah, that was my level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably still is actually. Yeah. Um, but uh, now I I uh, really like Crun and Bannister as mm. well as a duet because. There's firstly there's the kind of weird like what relationship do they have with each other? <laughs> it just yeah. seems to change from week to week. It's very fluid. But it's also there are a couple of instances, and I can't remember the episodes in particular, but where they uh, the two of them like run off in an argument with each other and they're just shouting over each other, shouting over each other, and they'll stop. And there's a pause, and then they'll both start about exactly the same time again. <laughs> and I just love the timing of that. It was like it could just picture Milligan and Sellers kind of standing at the microphones, looking at each other yes. and go, one, two, three, go. <laughs> yes. Totally. And I just love
2: that. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I think I always, if you'd asked me as a child, because I got into it as a teenager, if you'd asked me then when I was listening to the Goon show, I probably would have said Minnie was probably my favorite character. Hmm. It, but again, it would, it would, it would, Change from day to day, I suppose. But um, re-listening to the shows now and and, um, and getting back into it, and 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 being an adult as well, like you say, uh, there's little nuances, believe it or not, and mm-hmm. subtleties, and uh, even jokes and lines that are delivered by characters such as Moriarty, um, particularly late period Moriarty, which I really appreciate a lot more than I did when I was, you know, fifteen. Blue Bottle and Eccles, I love Blue Bottle. Eccles is fine. I was never a huge fan of Eccles, um, which will probably All get right. me shot. But <laughs> no. Uh, I think it probably comes back to like,
1: as I said, that scene from Punch Up the Conquer is like it's the archetypal scene, the archetypal goon, and actually, like, you want to kind of push away from that, I guess, and say, well, actually, there's so much more to to appreciate in that, and I think maybe. I wonder how Spike felt about it, because he got, got typecast as Eccles, but he did carry that character with him all, like, well yeah. after The Dooms, uh ended, but he did so many other brilliant ones. Jim Spriggs is one of my favourites. I was just like, mm. why he would kind of start singing half a line for no reason. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: you know, he he would always fill in when they needed another you know another voice as well. Mm. He, he would, some, some example of, Petty officialdom, something like that. Yeah. Um, with going, Just going back to Eccles, don't get me wrong, I do like Eccles, but he, mm. he, I would never say he was my favourite character. And I wonder whether it's because I instinctively, I lean more towards characters in comedy or characters in general who have a bit of, um, I'm not going to say edge to them or, or cynicism, but flawed. And I know that e- Eccles is flawed in many ways, mm. but he's so good-hearted, essentially. He very yeah. rarely he very rarely does anything uh, underhand or dastardly or deliberately malicious. Whereas I think most of the other characters, Blue Bottle, you know, Blue Bottle can be um, particularly mendacious. Um, obviously, Grip <laughs> Pipe and Moriarty, Neddy, as we'll see in today's episode that we're going to be discussing soon, Neddy can be extremely uh, conniving and calculating. Whereas Eccles yeah. is always, you know, just Eccles is always just Eccles. And I wonder whether that's why I pe- perhaps, you know, he was less appealing to me.
1: Yeah, interesting. Yeah,
2: Last year I read um, Harry Seacombe's
1: uh, autobiographies and uh, it's really interesting kind of um, getting to know him as a person because I just always see, see him as Neddy Segoon because he kind of, you know, we've seen him on like, TV clips and he always kind of fell back on his kind of clowning around. but I. Also, yeah, like the episode we're discussing today, it's uh, it, the character kind of morphs to kind of fit whatever is needed. So quite often he's the idiot running around having things uh, happen to him, but this time he's yeah he's much more kind of cunning and you know um, leading the uh, the plotting rather than having a plot done against him. Um,
2: uh, yeah, absolutely. So let's let's cut to the chase uh yes. it's uh, so, so today we're going to be talking about uh, the million pound penny which mm. is the i think it's, i didn't jot this down but i think it's the third episode from series nine yes i think so yeah yeah so uh broadcast 17th of november 1958 and uh written by spike produced by john browl so so nick why this particular episode
1: well, actually, it kind of comes back, we were talking about favourite episodes, and this actually probably is one of those kind of top ten for me, uh, certainly from childhood, because I remember listening to this on cassette. And while it is not necessarily what you'd call a typical goon show, it is kind of just barely organised pandemonium <laughs> from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are so many... Uh, gags, and the, uh, I've listened to it again the last week or so. And it, there are so many little gags that kind of pass people by, and it kind of gives a bit of an insight into them as performers on stage because there are a few little asides there where they're going, They're in the order to get in this. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. but Henry, Cr- that, that, that whole uh, dialogue when Moriarty and Henry Crun trying to explain that Grip Pipe's not there because Peter Sellers is playing Henry Crunn at the time. And there's no laugh. (laughs) And and I don't understand. And neither did the audience. That's why why there's not
2: a laugh. I remember when Uh, I first heard that line thinking, well, the audience must be pretty dumb. Um, (laughs) But it's so meta. I I think there's there's been previous shows before this where there's been similar kind of allusions to the fact that, you know, It's Milligan playing a character or it's Sellers playing a character. But Mm. that's, I think this is possibly the most sort of explicit acknowledgement of that. There's a point where um,
1: Seacom says, What
0: are you listening for? Laughs, Jim. What's the matter with it tonight? You've had it too easy in Australia. Don't give (laughs) (laughs) it I
1: think he was on tour in Australia over the summer. And had obviously loved it. was um, it well well documented. He loved Australia. Yes. Um, but I just love that. <laughs> like, you're going to have to try a bit harder. <laughs> well, that's the thing,
2: because famously, because he Milligan had tried to sort of play hardball with the BBC prior to agreeing a ninth series, and hmm. he was he was off to Australia after series eight, or at least um, in sort of early early to mid 58 i'm not quite sure of the dates but he was uh he was off to was to aussie and um and uh, yeah he was he was he had a list of dem- I've, I've detailed this in previous shows he'd had a list of demands as long as you're up yeah. to the
1: didn't
2: bbc he want to bring in didn't you want to bring in valentine dial as like a permanent fourth member yes that that was one of them yeah i left it in fact i'll have to dig it out uh, dig out the list it was in uh, julie warren's uh, hmm. book about Larry Stevens and it's yeah. which, is, which is fantastic. Um, I'll have to dig out the list of demands because the, the only one I ever seem to mention is the Valentine Dial. but it, yeah that's the one that sticks in my head as but well. That's so it just flips my wig that whole notion that Valentine dial could come in and not that he could come in and be a fourth member because I could just about you know, I could, I could understand that because you could almost argue he was the fifth Beatle. Well, the fifth Goon or the fourth Goon, whatever you want to call it, you know, but he, you could argue that he was after Benteen, he was probably, um, the fifth Goon, shall we say? Yeah. Uh, but then Max and Ray, I don't know. I don't know. We, we could, we could talk about this for hours, but, um, yes, him, him coming in as a permanent member is one thing, but taking over some of Sellers' roles, don't know about that. That, mm. that just, Yeah um anyway do you know what actually links to something else that i picked up on this
1: episode was there seems to be a little bit of a i don't know maybe i'm making this up but like a bit of a a, a, you know trying to wind peter sellers up because there's uh giving him the most difficult line of the show in the criminal ventriloquist i can't say it yes um, (laughs) yes when he stumbles over that and then there's the um you know pointing out that he can't do two voices at once and milligan does it twice I noticed he, does, he switches from Moriarty in a box to Jim Spriggs outside the box, <laughs> and he does Eccles and Little Jim talking oh, to each other. of course he does. Yes, he does. Um, yeah. So I, I wondered whether that was like him showing mm. off a little bit. I, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but, I just, yeah,
2: I found that interesting. You know, that's that's a really good point, which I'd never thought of. Yeah, Eccles and, and Little Jim in particular. Hmm.
0: Stay We'd better, run and tell the master.
2: But yeah, so, so Milligan had, had returned from Australia, uh, and um, like you say, yeah, there's there are there's a couple of references here when Milligan is kind of uh, faux complaining that the audience is not appreciative enough, uh, and he does he's done that quite a bit. I think he did that in. Um, a recent goon show that I covered the season 10 sorry the series 10 silver doubloons episode mm. there's kind of a there's at least one little dig at the audience not being you know not clapping or laughing uh, <laughs> sufficiently hard enough uh so I've listened to this show many 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 times over the years it it, it too is one of my favorite goon shows of all but I hadn't listened to it for a, a good many years. So obviously, for, you know, preparing for this, i would re-listened to it twice now. And I, so I listened to it the other day and I took some notes and then I just, I listened to it about an hour ago, you know, just so it's fresh in my mind. And it is only on this listen an hour ago that I picked up on a key point that I hadn't picked up on before, <laughs> okay? And and I may be the only person that that's listened to this goon show who hasn't worked this one out. So the, the episode's called The Million Pound Penny. Yeah. The key point isn't that the penny itself is worth a million pounds. It's that the penny has been left a million pounds in someone's will. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I think that's that's such a good example of, like, the just the kind of unique nature of the Goon universe, almost, if I might get a bit kind of... Uh, fancy mm. about it but like spike takes a joke and he takes it to places that no one else would take it you know it takes to extremes or you'll like yeah double down or like cap the joke like three or four times um and sometimes so quickly you kind of miss it the first time yeah but yeah that that bit about it being left money in Mini Bannister's will is I don't like just a throw almost
2: a throwaway line. <laughs> that's the thing because I've listened to this so many times. God knows how many times I've listened to this <laughs> over the years and I've never it's, I've never stopped and thought hang on. Where is it actually where does anyone actually refer to the fact that this penny is worth a million pounds? No one ever actually says that as in the, the penny's worth the penny is you could take that into a bank and exchange it for a million pounds. That's <laughs> never that's never referred to. Um, and you know, I'm going on a bit about this, I suppose, but it just it just occurred to me having re-listened to it you know, an hour <laughs> ago, and like you say, it's a it's a little throwaway line, mm. but it's so it fun, almost, it's so funny. Yeah.
1: It just shows that it, it kind of what you would assume would be the central plot point from it being called that is like it doesn't matter, you know, um, it, it, it doesn't really you know, have any relation to your enjoyment of the show. No, um, it's like I've, one of my one of my favourite uh, gags is like the Curse of Frankenstein. The whole episode is called the Curse of Frankenstein. Now the Curse of Frankenstein, blast! And then they move on to something <laughs> completely different. <laughs> <Yes>. yeah.
2: <laughs> the other thing, it's an interesting decision, and they've kind of done this a bit before, but it's an interesting decision to have a short, unrelated sketch in the in the first act that doesn't really bear any relation to the, the story proper. Uh, we've got, before Max Caldera, we've got the Sock Jelly Murder, which is only, from from Wallace Greenslade announcing this is the BBC, to Max's number, there's only about four minutes go by. So it's it's over really quick. I mean, they do refer to the Sock Jelly Murderer in passing, mm. in, in the main story. But it's, it's, it's pretty much dealt with in the first four minutes. Yeah, And I just wondered why the, why Spike decided to do that, well, you know, he, why he couldn't have started the story of Ned the Miser, which leads into this whole Million Pound Penny uh, saga, why, why that couldn't begin um, in the first act.
1: Yeah. Well, they, they used to do that quite a lot in like the third and fourth series, didn't they, where it was a little bit more kind of, yeah, there'd be an opening sketch and then a yeah. longer story. So there's kind of harking back to that. My own personal theory, and I have no evidence for this at all, is that it had two uh, bits of script. <laughs> and it was like, I can't quite get this one to the full what, 25 minutes I need. And I've got this little bit, which I quite like, but I can't extend it anymore. Do you know what? Nuts, I'm going to stick this on the front. I'm going to solve the murder while Max Geldray's playing his harmonica. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Sob the audience. <laughs> it's a, in, a, in a way, it's a bit like um, Wings with the song band on the run. McCartney had two or three... <laughs> Bits of songs that he joined together.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, I do. I do love it, that opening four minutes. You know, it is, it's really quick before you, you get to um, Max Calder's bit. But the gag rate in as it just keeps like the opening gag. well um, it's, it's, it's it's an opening line of just like stream of consciousness, a uh, conscious nonsense. <laughs> um, uh, and I I just love that kind of opening bit because it is just total nonsense. Uh, all Tibetans with legs will be shot. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I received my legs during a crawling tour of Bulgaria. And <laughs> it's just <laughs> all these things. That ju- it's just complete madness. Um, I love looking at uh, what was on before the, um, the Gun show comes on because the juxtaposition, particularly in an episode of like this one, is so mad at the start. Mm. Um, the juxtaposition with that, and you think someone was actually listening to uh, an orchestral concert um, mm. featuring pieces by Rameau, Bach and Tortini. Um, and then they said, sort of like, oh, "Well, that was wonderful. Yeah, uh, yes, yeah, so we should definitely uh, listen to to, to to some more Bach, you know, I haven't listened to him in ages. And then you get this, stop, here is a warning. Owing to an outbreak of fish in the Cotswolds. <laughs> just,
2: what? Yeah. I just love that juxtaposition. You can imagine these sort of elderly Victorians, because they would have still been, you know, there would have been a <laughs> lot of Victorians sat by the old wireless in 1958. Um, yeah. Listening to this, uh, this improving music, and then the comedy stylings of Milligan <laughs> and Sellers comes on and just sort of <laughs> knocks them out of their bath chairs. <laughs> oh it's just brilliant. We mentioned about uh the fact that Seagoon can his he he can turn on a dime he is you know he can be what the story requires him to be in terms of whether he's the hero he's he's never a proper hero but whether he's vaguely heroic or whether he's a patsy which he very often is or mm. whether in some cases in some rare cases he can be Kind of the villain of the piece, and I suppose in this in this show, this episode, uh, he is he is Ned the miser. Uh, yeah, he's chewing the scenery, something rotten, isn't he?
1: <laughs> and making sure everybody knows about it.
2: <laughs> I'm acting here. I'm acting my nuts
1: off here.
0: Jeeves <laughs> <laughs> throw another unpaid bill on the fire, and while you're about it, throw on a couple of unpaid Freds. <laughs> money and power—that's what I've got. <laughs> what else have I got? <laughs> the wind. <laughs> Jeeves, here's a pencil. Go and draw the blinds. I arrest you for old jokes. That was in the sock jelly murder. That's over. Oh, I'm acting. You're acting me. nut off of it. Ah! <laughs> now, Jeeves, pour out the seagoon's hoard of coins. Now, back in the safe with it. <laughs> One penny and it's tax-free. <laughs>
1: this state pops up a bit later and says, uh, Mr. Seekham overacts his way to another summer season. that has gone. You
2: never get shortchanged I... by, by Seekham ever.
1: No, no. And do you know what? It doesn't mind me. Cause I know you've spoken about this, um, on previous episodes about, um, you know, <laughs> the big stars of like, Milligan and, and sellers. Um, but I always think that like, at the time, Seacombe was the big star. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Sellers was um, you know, becoming very well known, but his, you know, his film career was only just uh, beginning. But Seacombe had been on all kinds of radio shows and on stage and TV, and he, he was the big, the big star of the of the three of them. And I was having hit records as well, and they've never missed an opportunity
2: to make jokes about that. Cool. Um, <laughs> well, that's why famously, that's why he could only talk on records like the Tong song. Um, Yeah. Seeker was under contract to, was it Phillips? I think, Um, you know, for his fine singing voice. So he was not, you know, he was contractually bound that he could not sing on, you know, another label's records. Um, It's
1: it's interesting that that I've only seen a couple of clips of um, uh, Fred and, uh, a show called Fred and Son of Fred, but um, Mm. I thought, that's one of the episodes that, uh, of, of uh, GoonPod that I need to catch up on. Um, but I wonder, uh, interested in your take on this, I wonder whether, because um, they work so well together as a, as a trio on the radio, whether not having Seacombe there, maybe something's missing a bit with the, or,
2: or is it just kind of a different kind of approach that they take for the TV? I'm sure that's the case. I've never thought about it, but I'm sure you're probably right. Uh we only really see outside of the Goon Show. We, we only really see Sellers and Milligan um, on screen, on television, mm. or in later years, obviously on in films, occasional films and things. We don't really hear the Goon Show with just Milligan and Sellers. There's the odd one where Sellers, where Seekham is is ill, mm. um, and those are pretty poor, aren't they? Those yeah. those ones.
1: It's, um, it's remarkable how much of a difference that makes because you've got two, because Dick Emery sat in for one and, and Kenneth Connor did the other one. Yeah. And they two very funny actors, but it just didn't quite work.
2: No, no. As I said before, you're you never shortchanged by him, whereas I think that there are certain goon shows or there's certain sellers' performances and Milligan performances on the goon show, which um, you can tell maybe they're, they're they're not having a great day. They're hmm. still they're still funny, but maybe they're not putting. Maybe Sellers in particular. Sometimes it sounds like he's kind of going through the motions um, with certain lines or certain characterizations. Whereas Seekin who who never seems bothered by you know he's he's pretty unflappable. Seacam isn't it by all accounts. He's hmm. he doesn't let things get him down. He doesn't appear to have uh, the inner turmoils that <laughs> no. could afflict Sellers and Milligan. So, but Seekam, you know, he could, he could take a a pretty bland line and make it funny just through just sheer force of energy.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah. Uh, And again, it's, it's more since I've been re-listening to them as a 40 something uh, that I've come to appreciate that more than, than I did. I I think when I first started listening to the Goons, I was all about Sellers. I was all about Milligan Uh, and I liked Seekam, but not I don't think as much as I do now mm. So it, it's to try and summarize the plot of <laughs> the million pound penny is a fruitless exercise I think So I mean we can just sort of run through some of the some of our favorite bits of it So we have, we have grip packed in a Moriarty in a in a coach in a stage coach and you mentioned about uh, sellers, um, having a, a few sort of tongue twister type lines. Yeah, it, it's the it's the criminal criminal ventriloquists. Yeah, and neither <laughs> of us can say. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't fluff the line. He manages to get through through it and 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 uh, and deliver the line, and then I think he really makes up for it by saying, "Try the stagecoach further down the road. They may stock them." Just yeah. the way he delivers that is superb.
1: Yeah, I, I love that, and it he, obviously he, he's. It sounds to me like he's had problems with that in the uh, in the rehearsal, and so he's kind of mentally taking a big run up because <laughs> yes. he goes, "We're clean out of and <laughs> <Yes>. criminal ventriloquists," <laughs> and then, as you say, he just kind of runs off with it. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: I am sorry, sir, but we are clean out of criminal eventuiloquists. <laughs> Try these stagecoats further down the road. They may stop them.
2: So we've got Spriggs. As again, you know, Spriggs will turn up and play whatever role is required to play. Yep. So Spriggs turns up again, I, th- I think for the second time in the show, as a different yeah. character, um, as Ben Turpin, the cross-eyed highwayman. Now, <laughs> when I first heard that, I didn't know, I had no idea who Ben Turpin was. So, uh, are, are you aware of Ben Turpin?
1: I don't think I am, no. One of the things I like to do on the, uh, with the
2: blog is to kind of see those
1: references and then go and you know, take myself off on a, down a rabbit hole and find out who all these are. But I haven't got to this episode yet. <laughs> so I don't actually know who Ben Turpin okay,
2: is. Okay, okay. Well, uh, yeah, right. He was a, a musical comedian from way back in the day. I, I, I didn't, I... I didn't check. I should have checked what sort of period we're talking. But I think the sort of 30s and 40s. Uh, but his his shtick was that he would go cross-eyed, um, and that's the, that's the joke. I've just brought, <laughs> I've just
1: brought it up actually. I've brought him up on uh, Wikipedia. So uh, yeah, 20s and 30s. I think he was right. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and yes, all the pictures of him. If you Google Ben Turpin, all the pictures are. <laughs> Just kind of pulling the cross-eyed. Yeah, and I'm probably going to get... Not unlike some of the uh, media pictures of um, Michael Benting
2: in the early oh, days of the Goons. Yeah. Who used to do the same thing. Well, I'm probably going to get some <laughs> some nasty letters in Green ink from people say, leave poor Ben Turpin alone. He had a condition or something, you know, but were, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that he was putting that on. Uh, then we have the bit where we, we touched on before about uh, Moriarty speaks to Henry Crun and I, I jotted down that there's it's a rare late period authoritative Moriarty briefly
1: mm. yeah
2: the way that he's talking to Crun he's not the um, quivering abject wreck in in a brown paper parcel that he was sort of minutes before he's now yeah. slightly in control Moriarty. Again, purely for the purposes of the script, you yeah. <laughs> know. Spike doesn't give a tinker's cuss for continuity, really, does he? <laughs> no, not at all. But
1: I do love that um, that kind of character arc you see of, uh, you know, I think it's the start of series five. I think it's Eric Sykes. Uh, when Eric Stark starts writing that you start to see Britpipe and Moriarty um, joining up together and plotting against uh, Seacum as kind of a regular uh, theme. But then as the series go by, you see them both kind of, uh, you know, deteriorate and get into worse and worse situations.
2: Like,
0: keep still, do you want us both out of this suit?
2: <laughs> no. Which is for me, the one line in in all the goon shows, I, I think is a fantastic illustrative, uh, fantastic illustrative, I can't say the word. I'm like Peter Sellers trying to say ventriloquist. <laughs> It's a perfect way of illustrating goon humour, that one line. Yeah. <laughs> using, using the words to, like, paint
1: an image. Yes. That kind of makes you go, hold on a minute, what? Yes. And actually another line that that sums it up uh, perfectly is, uh, I'd like to see him do this on
2: television. <laughs> yes. Just looking at sort of other notes that I made about this, this episode, uh, there's the appearance of Blue Bottle. So Blue Bottle turns up. Unusually not not on his own, but with uh, a group of scouts, a scout troop. <laughs> um, because a, a long player of Neddy's groans has entered the top 10 <laughs> um, A sly dig at uh, whatever Harry Seekins' yes. single was at the time. <laughs> yeah. And this as they describe it, this band of young stalwarts turn up and um and, and Blue Bottle is the is the leader of the scout troop. And again, I should have checked. Uh, I'm, I, I was just getting a real Joyce Grenfell uh, influence here because Blue Bottle is addressing the young scouts, and yeah. then he breaks off halfway through a speech and says, uh, uh, "Young Sprongley, don't do that," which just made me think <laughs> of uh, just made me think of a, a Joyce Grenfell routine. Um,
1: I think she was. I think
2: Joyce Grenfell. By this point, she she will be very very well known. She was appearing in uh, those Saint Trinian's films, wasn't she? Things like that. Um, Do you know much about Joyce Grenfell? I
1: don't know. I'm just frantically
2: googling. I keep keep forgetting you're 35. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) She used to do a. uh, She was a a comedian. um, Hmm. Quite. uh, she, she looked quite prim and proper, but she was, she, she was, you know, she was very talented and she used to do a, a, a comedy routine where she would be, um, I think it was akin to, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Rowan Atkinson doing that schoolmaster
1: yes. routine. Yeah.
2: A little bit like that where she's addressing a class or a group of children and at various points she will stop in mid-flow in mid and sort of say, George, don't do that stuff like that you know which for the time had them rolling in the aisles you know um yeah. and, and look i'm not uh denigrating joyce Grenfell at all i haven't seen enough of her work to to really have a a, a proper opinion either way um but yeah i just that that just I, that just jumped out at me as being um, Grenfell esque if you like right, uh, yeah, and, then, yeah. and then they have the breathing exercises and the the, the wonderful swanny whistle trouser trousers. yeah <laughs> uh
0: exercise in <laughs> Hey, plantain <laughs> Draw your stomach in like this <whistles> Oh, my trousers <laughs> <laughs> Oh,
1: my trousers <laughs> 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 Oh, He's, uh, yeah, it's it's one of the uh, few times you hear Blue Bottle just having the the stage to himself almost, mm. um, and like just taking the lead like that. And yeah, he's usually he's kind of turning up and you know uh, trying not to get deaded, um, and, the, and the others are all kind of bossing him about. But it's one of the few times we actually see him in in, in
2: charge. Yeah, and for the purposes of the story, uh, this week Minnie is his grandmother. Yes. Um <laughs> and, <laughs> and then knot turns up. Well, knot turns up earlier and 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 there's a reference to a Butler's Revenge frying pan, which I can't for the life of me um get to the bottom of what that is referring to. Now, oh, at goodness. at first I thought Butler's Revenge might be um uh you know the um what the butler saw machines that they used to have on Seaside yes. Piers. And yeah. I wondered whether it was something related to that but i've not been able to turn up what that is a reference to so any um uh, eagle eared listeners who can explain that line uh very much appreciate it yeah um but yeah so he he turns up and has this this sort of altercation with echoes but then he turns up again a little bit later and um we have this scene with blood and mini and they're sort of uh, what's the phrase pitching woo at each other yeah yeah um and thinks i just
1: love i do love that kind of ongoing story of like
2: there is uh, a long romantic history between the two of them yeah something has happened in india i suppose at some point yeah uh when she was the darling of R- roper's light horse um <laughs> and, and then yeah so, because there's no real plot is there the 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 Grip pipe and Moriarty want this penny, and I think Neddy wants the penny. And then he contrives to blow up Blood Knock by putting a bomb in his coffee. Are you keeping, <laughs> Are you keeping up? keeping him awake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there's an explosion, and I guess we're meant <clears throat> to assume that the explosion caused the death of everyone apart from. Blue bottle and Eccles,
1: Eccles. Yeah, <laughs> I like. I, I've written down uh, use of explosions as uh, a way of getting yourself out of the narrative dead end. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I wonder whether that was it. Uh,
2: Absolutely,
1: I think that's. I think that's happened in more than one Goon Show.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, well, the, the, in fact, uh, the last episode um, of this podcast was talking about the last Goon Show of all. That more or less ends with a, just a, not an explosion. As well, it, yeah, it does end with an explosion.
1: Yeah, it's uh, a wall
2: okay. of noise, isn't it? a wall of noise, and then an explosion. Um, what's is it a, a Deus ex Machina? Is that what they call it? There's, I can't think of the phrase. I'll have to cut that bit out. <laughs> and there's there's also there's a line that um, where William with it's the sock jelly murders and William says he, mm. I found the vicar Tim, in the doorway of Val Parnell's wallet. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the secret it says poor vicar Tim.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, there's a reference to 10 volumes of Diana Dawes in 3D. Yes. Um, Diana, they were all about Diana Dawes in 1958. Right? Yeah. Uh, that and, and Rita Hayworth and her husbands. That's right. And there's a, William makes a reference to uh, an appliance. I'll oh, get me appliance, mate. <laughs> Which um, Milligan in later years um, would regularly reference appliances. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and and all the connotations that that carried, you know.
1: Yeah, I I like that. He, you know, he does do throw those bits in of like, you know, if you, if you understand the reference, then you you'll you laugh. But he also, I've just uh, on the day we've recorded this, I've written a blog about uh, the House of Teeth episode. Okay. Where Valentine dial's character is Doctor Longdongle. Mm. No, he's not even trying.
2: Mm. No <laughs> mask. No, (laughs) (laughs) but it's there's deniability isn't there
1: (laughs) well if it's made it past the censors yeah (laughs) i i I love the stories they tell about uh hugh jampton as well that character that they got that past yes producer Producer, producer didn't even realize why everyone was laughing yeah
2: no (laughs) everyone (laughs) knew everyone knew (laughs) um so the, the, the coach that Gritpipe and Moriarty are, are riding in is pulled mm. by chickens, it turns out. Um, later in, uh, again, um, the silver doubloons, uh, at one point the coach is pulled by ducks. Mm. Um, so again, Milligan liking to, you know, liking to sort of swap out horses for various types of fowl. Um, I think
1: it's, that it's, it's, a, it's a kind of an occasional goon show joke, isn't it, that, that um, by kind of Series 9, you kind of almost expect that, uh, you know, in, in the goon universe, you know, a, a, a horse and cart is never, it's never pulled by a horse. It's going to be a chicken or it's going to be, a I don't know, a recording of, of something. Or
2: <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, again, though, in, in um, Silver Doubloons, the, 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 the ducks later change into horses or at least they, they start out as ducks and then they become horses and then one of the horses gets a puncture and it's Eccles.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit that I really like um, after, after the, uh, the bit about you know Henry Crun and Grip Pipe, which one is uh, Peter Sellers playing, um, when Moriarty is introduced to Seagoon.
0: Who are you? Pretender! to the throne of France! You don't look like a king! That's because I'm only pretending. <laughs> Pardon the steam, King Neddy. He's never been the same since the fall of France. Why not? It fell on me, that's why! you I... <laughs> quite a steaming idiot. <laughs> oh, that whole
2: bit is, is pure Marx Brothers, I think. That, yes, yeah, wonderful. He's
1: never been the same since the fall of France. Why not? It fell on me, that's why. (laughs) It seems obvious to me that Milligan absolutely loves that bit because he completely throws himself into the punchline.
2: He sells (laughs) it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, no, that is fantastic. Uh, (laughs) um, Just before we sort of start wrapping up, Nick, because the clock is against us, um, one thing I do like to ask people is when you were listening to the the goons as a child did you enjoy or did you skip the the musical numbers <laughs>
1: um i definitely would fast forward through max geldray because at the time i didn't really get the harmonica i fully get it now um but i have a bit more of an appreciation for how good a musician uh he was um and i've read his uh, autobiography as well which is a fascinating read mm. um I would listen much more to Ray Ellington because you know sometimes his his songs are really funny you know, on on their own, and as occasionally they would kind of weave into the uh, the plot bit as well. Um, I've I don't do that anymore, but I definitely fast forwarded through Max Geldray when I was <laughs> listening as a kid. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Just wanted to mention as well. Uh, you mentioned um, you've read was it max's autobiography yes okay have you read the peter seller's biography by roger lewis
1: is this the uh the life and death of big yeah. or was it yeah no i haven't read that yet i'm i'm a little bit um you know when i started i was picking the books off my bookshelf and thinking yeah i'm going to write this so i write this blog i've made a list of all the books i could find and uh ordered quite a few new ones. So I've read uh Seacom's autobiographies, I've read Max Geldray's, uh, and obviously um Julie Warren's book about um Larry Stevens and a whole bunch of others. That is one that I am not like I'm not sure whether I want to read it almost mm-hmm. because all the bits that I you know having watched um you know documentaries about sellers and read bits and pieces like I worry that I'm gonna read it and I'm gonna end up hating him because wasn't it the one that's famously that the author said he really didn't like Peter sellers and kind of did a bit of a hatchet job on him is that the same book is it
2: um he may have said something like that i mean he went into it as a big sellers fan because i've um i'm I'm rereading it i I was on holiday recently and i'd I'd read it back in the 90s when it came out and i and i wanted to reread it so i started rereading it and i'm about third of the way through because it's about thousand odd pages. it's hefty isn't it yeah um and it's a very interesting book i'll Mm. i'll I'll say that and and entertaining to read and i wouldn't say it does a hatchet job but it it does you know sellers doesn't come out of it certainly you know i'm only i'm only the third of the way through. i'm only sort of still in the goon show period in terms of Mm. the chronology of the book um you know He's not coming out of it particularly uh, uh, positively, shall we say? Yeah. Um, but I don't think that Roger Lewis put in anything intentionally maliciously. I think one of his right. things is with his books is that he tends to um, right. to put, put puts in his opinions. You know, he's not the dispassionate biographer by any means. Mm. Um, but the reason I mention it is is because. Um, th- through a contact of mine, I was actually, I managed to get Roger Lewis's email address. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, okay. Um, and he said, look, make contact with Roger and see if he'd like to come on the podcast. And I thought, well, that would be incredibly amazing to do that. Mm. Okay. Might be hair raising, but it, it's worth a try. So I emailed Roger and I didn't expect a reply, to be honest. But I, I got a reply within five minutes. Wow. Um, so I'd introduce who I was and everything. And I won't read out the whole email, but I just wanted to read a little bit. He, he, he says, Tyler, the thing is, I don't know what a podcast is, how they work, what any of it entails. I don't have a mobile phone or anything to do with, quote, social media or anything whatsoever of that kidney. I don't do Zoom. Talk about old school. He says, by the way, the hardcore goon show, quote, fans always talk against my seller's book, the silly buggers he doesn't (laughs) use the word buggers i've cleaned that up um i wasn't being hagiographic enough they didn't want to see or hear any analysis of seller's dark side though to my mind the comic genius was inseparable from his madder darker side how could anyone not agree with that with very best wishes for your mighty endeavors all the best roger (laughs) so that's lovely yeah yeah.
1: and do you know what actually that really would explain it because you know my uh you know um yeah, you know, misgivings about reading it probably do come from other goon show fans who have read it and gone, oh, no, he's been
2: mean to Peter Sellers, or you know,
1: it probably comes from that. So I think I will probably read it now. then
2: Yeah, I'm I'm keen not to make this podcast just um, a love-in <laughs> uh, but at the same time i'm not just going to be unduly critical either I, i'm trying mm. to be honest with myself honest in terms of how i feel about things and and how guests feel about things i want i encourage yeah. guests to be open as well um but yeah i just i just wanted to to, to shoehorn that in so uh thank you for giving me that That's opportunity wow. um so nick listen i really really enjoyed having you on today um it's been a lot of fun and um sorry that uh, you know we can we can't talk for longer, but um, perhaps you know perhaps sometime in the future you could come back and talk about a a, a film or maybe a Sellers film or, or something like that some other goon type media. What do you think? Yeah,
1: I'd love to. I've I've really enjoyed it. It's been um, great great chatting to you. Um, yeah. So um, the Secret Memoirs it's a blog and it's at uh, Um I'm also on Twitter. Um, it's at Seagoon Memoirs is yep. my Twitter handle. Um, and uh, and yeah, I'm uh, trying to update it uh, as, as much as I can. I'm kind of plodding through uh, series six at the moment. I've just written about the House of Teeth um, and I'm looking forward to doing the Tales of Old Dartmoor next. So that's, uh, that's, that's, a, great two, that's a great one. That's a great one. Yeah. Um, yeah brilliant
2: yeah and I'll put a link to all these uh when the show goes out I'll put a link to Seagun Memoirs I really recommend uh that people check that out if they haven't already I think most people that follow this show on Twitter Goon, GoonPod um will already be following Seagun Memoirs anyway but if if people aren't please check it out because it's uh, it's really really useful and I must admit hold my hands up I have actually used it uh, a couple of times for research oh. purposes Uh, so wonderful i'm glad it's been useful (laughs) Uh, so nick thanks thanks again and we'll talk again soon yeah lovely to speak to you thanks very much thank you very much nick Uh, i will be back next time with another topic i think it might be a very special guest next week Uh, yes indeed i will be uh, attending a seance where i summon up the spirit of peter sellers no, I'm hoping it will be a special guest next week. Um, that's still to be confirmed, but uh, fingers crossed. In the meantime, uh, please rate and review, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Check me out on Twitter. It's at Goon and uh, I will see you next time. Good night. <laughs>
1: The Goon Show, which was recorded, was produced by John Browell. Peter Sellers is now appearing in Bruhaha
0: at the Aldwych Theatre, London, and Harry Seacombe in as Life at the London Palladium.